0: The following Dharma talk was given by Jodi Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone, and uh, nice to see so many folks here for the first time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, hope your morning's going well. Um, this is called Soma Rebukes Mara from the Hidden Lamp, the collection of women's enlightenment stories. The nun Soma was a disciple of the Buddha. One day, she was in deep meditation beneath a tree in a forest grove. Mara, the lord of delusion, approached her, cloaked in invisibility. He whispered in her ear, Because a woman has a naturally limited consciousness, and the realm of wisdom is hard to reach, no woman has the ability to attain it. Soma realized Mara and rebuked him, saying, how could a woman's consciousness be a hindrance when her heart is set on liberation? Am I a woman in these matters? A man? What? This question has no power over me, Mara. Be gone. And they were gone. So that's the story of Mara rebuking mara not a single one of us comes into this life being not being imprinted by our conditioning our culture our society how being told how we need to act how we need to be in certain ways there's a harmony of living together yes what one can or cannot do with their abilities. What is um, delusion? How do you understand delusion? Delusion is the inability to see things as they are, the nature of things as they are. Under the influence of delusion, we're not in harmony with things. We're not in harmony with ourselves, we're not in harmony with others or with life. We're not in accord with what we call the Dharma, how things are. And I've been thinking about Mara for a long time. Some of you maybe just be introduced to who is Mara. Thinking about Mara, practicing, studying, wondering what might be the equivalent modern-day of Mara, the lord of delusion that visits us, the one who visits Soma in this story. And I thought, oh, I might call them the inner critic, the judge, the controller, the inner subconscious, doubts, whatever we choose to call them, it, whatever. The voice is unmistakable in us. They whisper in our ear just the words that most hook us. Who do you think you are? And you can fill in the blank. Who do you think you are meditating? Who do you think you are singing? Who do you think you are painting? Who do you think you are loving, awakening? You aren't ready yet. You don't have the right stuff. You don't have the right form. You don't have what it takes to realize who you are or what you really want to do. That voice. How dare you be a powerful woman? Dampen it down, will you? Step back. And wow, the effect is powerful, really immediate, if we believe it or if we buy into the story. You know, this sinking energy, this hopelessness feeling, when we start to hear that voice, the desire to quit, whatever we see we're trying to do, disappear. The weightiness, or just we want to be weightless, deep sadness. And when it's in this most hostile or vicious state of mind, it's more like self-hatred. That's the form it takes. And if we don't have awareness that this is happening, this inner judge can hijack our practice, our attention, our love for life, our aspiration, our joy. Do you ever hear yourself saying, a Buddhist wouldn't get angry? A real person sits Zazen on the floor, not in a chair. I wouldn't be grieving this long or this hard. And on and on we may go. If we have no awareness, that will just take up residence and we'll just have that, carry that around. But sometimes, but when we sit down, we start to recognize this voice. we walk around with and we learn how to appreciate its wisdom and what it's asking of us to do with ourselves, understand about ourselves, turn that delusion into wisdom, see things as they are, not what we think. And sometimes I hear Mara's whisper in my ear is not even a story, as I said, but just a vague sense of dis-ease. Just dis-ease. Something unidentified. Sometimes it could take the form in my mind of I lack something or I'm ashamed, of I have shame about something. That's Mara talking, whispering in our ear. So Mara doesn't always speak in words. Sometimes... It's a nebulous drop in energy, suddenly losing confidence. And sometimes there are words. And if we do hear this and become it become we become aware and it's recognizable, we can we can just say, Yeah, Mara's in town. <laughs> I say that to my friends sometimes. How are you doing? Well, Mara's been in town this week. <laughs> Had a couple visits always well, a parking place, that's for sure. So what do we do? What do we say to Mara? What do we say to that aspect of ourself? What happens to delusion when we recognize it? How is the non-soma helping us centuries later? Right here in this Sendo in Brooklyn in 2023. She's at the time of the Buddha. Centuries ago. Right here where we sit, how are we being helped by this story? Awareness, awareness, awareness. That is half the battle, is knowing that we're under attack. Soma um, was a woman who joined the Buddhist um, monastic order in the 6th century and was the daughter of um, a chief priest of King Bimbisara of Magadha. And she heard the Buddha speak in one of the parks, and it just went right in. And she said, I want that path. This is my path. And for many years, she was a lay supporter. And then after she joined the order, not long after, she achieved awakening. And in a recent anga, we studied the many visitations of Mara on practitioners, particularly the Buddhist nuns where Mara comes along as we're sitting or practicing or walking, shopping, eating dinner. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Always the challenger, that part of us that's always challenging inside. And so we have these stories from the taragata the poems and life stories of these how these women refuted Mara particularly in that time and culture, um, their position in life was you could not achieve enlightenment unless you were in a male body. So what is this Mara nature we hear of in the tradition and is very present in this exchange? And as I mentioned, delusion is the inability to... Understand the nature of things as they are. So Mara can be thought of as our mind habits. We can call them obstacles, temptations, visitations that draw us away. And they draw us away in particular ways. So sometimes we'll turn to use pleasure, to use pain, or numbness, or other things when Mara visits, and like weasels, (laughs) they might steal our peaceful zazen. So we came to meditate, and we sit down, and we get a visit. Wait a minute, I'm sitting here, this is my seat, but sometimes it gets right in, and that's our whole period of zazen, is this visit, right? Have you not had that? I have. (laughs) You must. We're all the same in that way. The great doubter, the critic. Parts of us that want to arouse fear, terror, keep us in our familiar, unhelpful habits of mind, hook us, hook us when we're not aware what's happening. And sometimes we can be aware that we're hooked. That's good. That's really good. And the way we see dharmas and things as real things. Of course, this didn't start with us. As I said, we, have, we come into this world um, with a lot of ways we are imprinted from uh, generations, generational Ways of seeing both both things that are very skillful. We've all received good things. You wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't have goodness. And then some things that are not so helpful that we can recognize as practitioners and, and use that to, sh- to begin to see differently. That's seeing that as it is, and then how do we want to be more skillful with what's been passed down. Mara may be real, but untrue. May feel very real, but not actually, but untrue. So we hear about Buddha nature. It was chanted this morning Buddha nature pervades the whole universe, existing right here now. Each one of us has this Buddha nature can't be given, can't be taken away. It's that completeness, never not covering the ground upon which you stand. There's a book I've really enjoyed. It's called, and some of you may, it's an older book called um, Living with the Devil, written by Stephen Batchelor, a Buddhist practitioner. And he explains this Sanskrit term translated as nature, Buddha nature, Mara nature. We say nature a lot, our nature, our true nature. He says nature is garba, which means womb, like a valve that can either be opened or closed. This organism has the capacity to unfold, that's our Buddha nature, or shut down, that's our Mara nature. Buddha nature and Mara-nature are inseparable, can't take them apart. He says, to live with the devil in us is to live with the perpetual conflict between our inherent Buddha-nature, which when this mind prevails, what we grasp, fixation decreases, the world brightens, often revealing itself as empty and permanent and fluid. He says, Buddha, nature is like the empty, warm, fertile space from which we are born. Our womb-like nature suggests I am not necessary static self that I believe myself to be, but a contingent, moving creature with an extraordinary but often untapped capacity for growth and change. And when our mara nature dominates, everything tightens, fixations tighten. The world appears opaque, necessary, static. We go into confusion, closure, restriction. Pick your adjectives. It's that side of me that compulsively resists transformation, doesn't want to be touched, impregnated with any ideas other than my own certainties and stubbornly clings to the illusion of being a frozen and isolated self. He says the conditioning that keeps us in the thrall to the familiar and cultural messages that maintain the status quo. Mara is not interested in liberation. It is interested in control that demonic part of ourselves, the tempting one that lures us away from our deep knowing. You know, the devil made us do it. Has a little truth to it. (laughs) William Blake, he evokes a similar um, opposition, and he has those lines from in The Marriage of um, Heaven and Hell. He writes, If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to a person as it is, infinite, Buddha-nature. For a person has closed themselves up till they see all things through narrow chinks of of their cavern, Mara-nature, because we've closed it up, so once we open those chinks, that perspective, The perceptions are cleansed, seeing things as they are. It's infinite, Buddha nature. That open perspective, free to respond to the call of others. Mara nature is when we get a fixed position. It prompts us to react. Perspective allows possibility, doesn't it? If we have just a perspective, it's just a perspective. There's a lot of possibility. We can have opinions, but when we're under the understanding of Mara, it be- can slide into a position, a fixed position, that will never go away from our territory because we've staked it out and that's where we're comfortable. Someone asked uh, Stephen Batchelor in an interview, what happens if we do separate Buddha nature from Mara nature? He says, we fall into the trap of duality. This tempting idea that if we could only totally eliminate what we find unacceptable and evil, then we would be left exclusively with what we value and regard as good. This is not only naive, but dangerous. Look at the world. Maras are coursing right now, coursing. He says it's the kind of simplistic thinking that drives the conflicts currently bedeviling our world. It rests on the premise that you have light with no darkness, good with no evil, Buddha with no mara, But all these things are meaningless, independent of their opposites. Actually, there's no opposites. There's just relationship. It's not as opposed to. It's just relationships. Our understanding of Buddha is dependent upon our understanding of Mara, of where we hold ourselves back and close. That's how we understand Buddha, just as our experience of freedom is dependent on our experience of bondage. I was, we had a resident once who loved to read and loved to pontificate at the breakfast table about what they were reading, and they were reading the Avatamsaka Sutra. Those of you that know it, it's like, like this, right? And they were just, they loved to, re- and I loved how they h- treated their books, and, and they, they really loved, when they, whatever they were reading, they just carried this book with such deliciousness. But the lectures at breakfast were, <laughs> and they were talking about Mara, and like Mara in us, and da, 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 da. And so, um, you know, with, with such like energy, nobody, nobody could talk, okay, they had the floor. <laughs> And so one day, they were sent to the hardware store. Um, Singer Denman was our hardware store. And they had a whole list of things they had to get. And and when he went in, um, he was very attracted to the person who he met him at the door and um, asked, do you need some help? And he was, yes, of course, more time. So around the store they went, getting all these items. He added a few more that we didn't need just for a little more time. And they got to the counter and doing all the adding up. And he was, he was in his mind, he was like, do I ask like for a date? And you know, he was really like, he was a postulant at the time. So he's really on this thing about celibacy and how important it was. And there he was going like, do I ask her? For a date? Should I ask for a date? And so, he decides he's he's about to check out. He's got all his stuff, and he says, "So, what's your name?" And she says, "Mara." (laughs) (laughs) And he just he's like, (laughs) out he went. And, of course, we heard about that a little bit later. And um, the original story came from the Buddha um, before he was Buddha, when he was Siddhartha, and he was trying to slip out at night because he hadn't been out of the palace to see any of the world. He was secluded, and he decided he was going to venture out. And as he left, of course, he's doing something against everything. Of course, Mara's going to appear when we take those leaps, right? What are you doing? Go back. Go back or you will fail. I will never cease to dog you in your footsteps. Lust, malice, and anger will betray you. Sooner or later, you will fail, filling him with great doubt. He's about to go and Mara comes like, what are you doing? stay here this is your place you're going to fail if you go out there rubbing right up against what he deeply knew to be true his wisdom i need to go i need to see what's out there right so that's what happens to us it's no different when did you last hear that familiar chide was it this morning when you woke up go back don't go to the temple Under the covers, nice and warm. Have a latte, double latte. (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) cloudy. One more TikTok, (laughs) one more YouTube, instead of a walk. Missiles, arrows firing at us, swords coming. Aggression, don't do this, do that. You should. You need to be. When will you? You still. I won't let people say that to me anymore. I won't let myself say it. You're still. I'm like, uh uh-uh. Mara, be gone. And on the occasion that the Buddha was going to attain enlightenment, and he sat under the tree, the story goes, he was sitting there and the forces of Mara shot arrows at him to distract him from becoming enlightened. What right do you have to seek enlightenment? By whose authority do you claim this seat? And in response, the Buddha—that if you saw the earth witness, the Buddha touched the earth and said, "This is my witness. This is my authority. This is who I am. This is my seat." Mara goes sitting on the side, drawing in the yeah. <laughs> drawing in the dirt. Just got booted. Yeah turn the weapons into flowers, as the story goes. And we might think that Mara's visit ended with that encounter. Uh-uh. The Buddha said that Mara, until his dying day, he was always aware of Mara traveling on his shoulder. And it seems by the end of Buddha's life, they were old friends. Recognition, naming, Sudden release. Morrow is gone. So Buddha's story, how is that our story? Sitting here with all this that's happening, just like us. What distracts us? How do we turn our weapons to flowers as it's happening? That's what we're practicing. That's what the Atisha slogans are. How do you turn what we use as weapons into flowers? turn into the the wisdom that's in it, these things that we think are enemies and want to get out or evil and just say, like, oh, there's wisdom here. Why am I saying this? There's wisdom here. Then the voice, voice came, only when Buddha was able to experience the desires and fears that threatened to overwhelm him as nothing but impersonal and ephemeral conditions of mind and body, did they lose their power to mesmerize him? Even when we are able to experience just the gap, the desires and fears that threaten to overwhelm us as nothing but impersonal and ephemeral conditions of mind and body that we come by honestly, come by honestly, there feels real, but maybe not fully true, it'll lose its power to mesmerize us. Open, we become open, less restrictive, but Buddha nature, womb-like. He recognized they were no more solid than brittle, unfired pots that crumble on being struck with a well-aimed stone. So when you're in Zazen and you're working with your breath, that's that well-aimed stone of just acknowledging what's arising in that vast space, just the thoughts, the secretions that are arising. Doesn't matter if they're good or bad. We don't have to name them. Just seeing, acknowledging, releasing for the time being think you were told if something's important off your cushion, you can look deeper, inquire more compassionately about it if it's true. But that's our awareness being aware. We are awareing. We are knowing beings. We know. We know what things are. We do. We know what things are. And it's just that stone striking so we can penetrate through to that wisdom. Prajna, the emptiness of the condition. And it takes a while. That's why you keep letting go, coming back to that anchor. Letting go, coming back. And then there's moments where there's gaps and then we go out in life and we see, something's loosening here. The things that used to get me, hmm, different. Something's different. We're coming up on the holidays so you might feel more maras floating around as you get together with your friends and families or you're alone, if that's the case. So plenty of opportunities to practice. We can visualize ourselves as this non-soma, and the grove is called blind man's grove, by the way. Soma entering blind man's grove to practice meditation, and just as she sees Mara, this little act unfolds, nowhere but in her mind and in her own belief. That's where the play is taking place. So in verse, in her poem, she writes, here's the play. It's two people, one act. Mara. That which can be attained by seers the place so hard to arrive at, women are not able to reach since they lack sufficient wisdom. So that's what she's saying to herself, right? She's just sitting there meditating. Mara comes and she replies this time, what difference does being a woman make when the mind is well composed, when knowledge is proceeding on, when one rightly sees into Dharma? Indeed, for whom the question arises, am I a man or a woman, or am I even something at all, to them alone is Mara fit to talk. (laughs) She sees what arises from ignorance. She's now seeing it, she's expressing it, the sexism But she swallowed whole can't help it. And says, when that great dark was torn apart, distinctions made on the basis of gender are seen as they really are. What is called conventional truth. Everywhere the love of pleasure is destroyed. The great dark torn apart, part and death, you too are destroyed. So... If you can follow that, (laughs) that scene is our life. (laughs) Ancestor Soma not only refrains from getting offended by Mara, who is clearly trying to provoke and discourage her. Perhaps she's remembering what Buddha said, have forbearance for the fool. And calmly points out how ludicrous the statement is. This question has no power over me, Mara. Be gone. So Mara helps Soma see her delusion. And with practice, we come to see that Mara is not our enemy, but more what the Aikido folks call as Aite, A-I-T-E, which is a loving opponent, who forces us to become stronger and more skillful by attacking you strongly and cleanly. Mara is our training partner. Nice way to see it. At first, very much stronger in strength and technique, so we are defeated easily. And this could go on for many years. It takes time. But once we build up our trust and our clear perception, we will see Mara is our friend. Mara is our friend. So sometimes we can treat Mara like Soma did, with a more wrathful approach, strong strength. Be gone. Stop. No more. Sometimes it's a more compassionate approach. Where we wrap our arms around ourselves when we're speaking like that. Gotcha. Don't 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 speak like that. I gotcha. It's a little little one there. We're holding, embracing. Sometimes humor helps us. Oh, Mara. <laughs> I know your name. Jeez, oh man. Sit down with me, okay, my friend. Have a seat with me here. In the Vimalakirti Sutras, Robert Thurman writes, Maras are said to be bodhisattvas, dwelling in inconceivable liberation, playing the devil, as it were, to develop living beings. So that part of us is developing us. If we can see it as a friend, it's our, de- it's helping. It's our friend. It's developing us because we have such strong reactions, because we have such a critic, because we have such a judge. I work with this a lot in art practice. I mean, how many of us in our expressions want to damp it down or judge what we drew or painted? Just stops it, right? And it's like, so bring Mara in. How would Mara paint? Oh boy, you should see those paintings comes right out. A friend just helps us. Bam, just goes right out. So I'll end and share a verse on this case. May anyone who is besieged by inner judgments find freedom from them. May all, may all belittling, cruel, and limiting thoughts Dissolve. And may each of us know and recognize our own unique beauty, our own capacity, and the gifts we bring into this world. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit our website at cmm.org slash zcnyc.